The time has come, so turn up the sound. It's time for Buried Broadway. Hiya. Hello. I'm Jen Beverelli. And I'm Mikey Beverelli. And welcome to Buried Broadway, Broadway, where we discover, dissect, and demystify forgotten Broadway musicals that we most likely found on vinyl for a dollar. So, Jen. So, Mikey. What's going on with you? Well, still in pandemic times, so not a whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am doing another episode of the Poe Theater on the Air, which will be coming out soon. Ooh. As Miss Trepetta, my same character. So, very tiny and squeaky and <laughs> cute. So, it was pretty fun. Some early spring spooky ookies. <laughs> What are you up to, Mikey? Well, I am also in the pandemic. I'm aware. So, <laughs> because it's the pandemic, I also am doing a virtual production of Urinetown. And I'm going to be played by a sock puppet with googly eyes. Yay! So it should be super fun. It's with Landless Theater. Because why? Everybody loves <laughs> puppets. Ah! You should have told them to get the flahooly. Yeah. Oh, that would have been creepy. Very. Perfect. So, yeah, it should be up on Landless Theater's website um, sometime in early April. So check that out. We'll put links to both of these little events on our episode description. So if you're on your phone right now and you're not driving a car, just... Go to the episode description, scroll down, and the links will take you to where you need to go. Also, we are going to put them all over our Instagram and our Facebook, but that does you no good if you don't follow us at Buried Broadway on both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> to see all of the citations and resources we use to research this episode, become a bookworm brain on our Patreon for just $4 a month. And to hear our blooper reel for this episode, which is always a bundle of fun, you can become a blooper boo for $8 a month at patreon.com backslash buried broadway or go to the link on our website. If you want to get in touch, just follow this address. It's B-E-V-A-R-E. L L I dot com. And now for a message from our friends over at Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast. Hello, my name is Talia Smith, the host of Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast. On our show, we talk to historians, artists, podcasters, and creators from around the world about the stories that impact our lives. This upcoming season, we explore all of what home can mean through sharing stories with a strong sense of place, love, family, or tradition. Join us for Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast, Season 3, streaming on all platforms April 2nd. Find us at A Storytelling Podcast on Instagram for more information. So once upon a time. 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 Coming soon. Mikey, what show are we covering today? 
This week we're doing Cry For Us All, a new musical. It's not new. <laughs> With music by Mitch Lee, book by William Alfred and Albert Marr, lyrics by William Alfred and Phyllis Robinson. So we bought this record on Discogs, which if you haven't checked out and you collect records, I mean, maybe you shouldn't check it out because it is an evil, evil entity mm-hmm. because you can just buy anything you want there and it gets sent to you. And then you also have the anxiety of if it's going to break in the mail. It is a lot. So maybe you shouldn't go. Maybe you should just leave all the risk to us and we'll gladly buy all the records. But we got this one because it looked really, really interesting Mm -hmm. and we had never seen it before. And the shipping was the same for, I think, like 10 records. Yeah. And we just wanted to fill up our little box. So we filled it up with this. Let's hope we made a good choice. Yes, because remember, we have not heard this yet. Not at all. (laughs) So (laughs) let's see how it goes. Cry For Us All had its first out-of-town tryout in New Haven, Connecticut at the Schubert Theater from February 2nd to 7th, 1970, followed by a run in Boston, Massachusetts at the Colonial Theater from February 11th to March 7th, 1970. It opened on Broadway on April 8, 1970, and closed on April 15, 1970, after nine performances and 18 previews at the Broadhurst Theater. So it ran longer out of town than it did on Broadway. The Broadhurst is the same theater that housed Flahooly that we covered on episode 11. We have seen Anastasia and Jagged Little Pill there, and I saw Les Mis. I think it's actually one of my favorite theaters. I really love it. It is very nice. It's cute and little, and it's like a little jewel box. So other shows that were playing at the time on Broadway include Applause, Pearly, Coco, 1776, Promises, Promises was in its second year, and also Hair was in its second year. This show did not win any Tony Awards, but unlike the past couple that we covered, it was nominated for two. Yes, Howard Bay was nominated for Best Scenic Design. And Robert Weedy was nominated for Best Leading Actor. So before we begin, let's cover the music writer. This musical was written by Mitch Lee. He was born in Brooklyn as Erwin Michnik on January 30th. <laughs> 1928, to a Ukrainian furrier and his wife. He graduated with a Master's of Music from Yale in 1952 and then became a jazz musician. He wrote commercials for radio and TV. His biggest advertising earworm is probably the Nobody Doesn't Like Sara Lee jingle. He also wrote the song for the Benson and Hedges cigarette commercial, The Disadvantages of You, which was recorded by the group The Brass Ring in 1967 and made the top 40. So for those of you who don't know how that song goes, which I'm guessing not many of you do, or you're sitting there going, I do think I know how that goes, but I'm not sure. (laughs) It's the one that sounds like elevator music with a lady just doing this. La 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 la. It's awesome. And I love it. Also, the commercial is hilarious. So the Benson and Hedges commercial advertises that their their cigarettes are longer than the regular cigarette. So there's a disadvantage in that the cigarette is so long, you're going to do things like burn through your newspaper and get it stuck in the elevator or <laughs> silly things like that. Or like when you answer the phone, it's going to be crushed by your phone. 
<laughs> it was so funny. I'm definitely putting it on our Instagram. It's so ridiculous. For Broadway, he initially wrote incidental music for two plays, Too True to Be Good and Never Live Over a Pretzel Factory, before being asked to write the show he is most known for, Man of La Mancha, in 1965. That show won him his only Tony Award. Unfortunately, Mitch Lee never found the same success on Broadway after Man of La Mancha, but the song The Impossible Dream alone has been covered by thousands of musicians, including Frank Sinatra, Diana Ross, and Josh Groban. He wanted to ride the coattails of Man of La Mancha, so just one year later, he turned out Chu Chem, the first Chinese-Jewish musical, which was about 10th century Jewish immigrants in China. It closed during out-of-town tryouts and had its Broadway run canceled due to reviews. Weirdly, Chu Chem finally got its day in the sun and opened on Broadway 23 years later in 1989. We might cover it in the future if we can get our hands on a copy, but this cast recording was only sold at the theater itself on cassette tape, so (laughs) I'm not sure. And the show only ran for a little bit over a month. So how many of them are there out there? We don't know. Mitch Lee's other Broadway credits include this show, Cry For Us All, in 1970, Home Sweet Homer in 1976, Sarava in 1979, and his final show, Ain't Broadway Grand, in 1993. He was also nominated for a Tony for directing the 1985 revival of The King and I, his only Broadway directing credit. Later in life, he went into the real estate industry, creating... Jackson 21, which is a real estate development intended for artists in New Jersey on land he had started purchasing in the 60s. Now, there's a really funny commercial for this that he recorded stating his vision while Impossible Dream plays in the background. (laughs) At the end, he says, if you're not a nice person, don't call, which I kind of love. We're definitely going to put it up on our Instagram. (laughs) It's so good. He died on March 16th, 2014 in Manhattan. So sometimes these records have a nice little elevator pitch written on there. And I know we haven't done it for a while because they don't all have it. But this one does. Yay. Don't get your cigarette stuck in the elevator while listening. (laughs) Well, here it is. Rejoice for Cry for Us All, the new musical play about love, politics and revenge based on the off-Broadway hit Hogan's Goat by William Alfred. It's got a book by Alfred and Albert Marr, lyrics by Alfred and Phyllis Robinson, choreography by Todd Bullender, a set by Howard Bay, and the most brilliant voices ever gathered on any Broadway stage. Whoa! Joan Diener, Robert Weedy, Steve Arlen, Helen Gallagher, Tommy Rawl, and 18 more, sounding more <laughs> like 180. Oh, wow. All singing the magnificent score by Man of La Mancha composer Mitch Lee. Well, I'm intrigued. I definitely am intrigued. 18 people are going to sound like 180. (laughs) Wow. So each person is 10 people. (laughs) A lot of promises there that I'm not sure about. Also, I feel like we've mentioned this before, but I always laugh when they say a new musical because that is an outdated title about, um, I don't know, six months after it's released. Well, no, not really. It's This is new to us right now. Oh, you're right. So it is a new musical. I take back my comment. Let's listen to the overture. 
So I'm not a connoisseur of overtures. I like them a lot. It's just hard for me to pick out the bad from the good ones. And I think this was good. Um, and it kind of set the tone for what we're about to expect. It's not, you know, overly complicated or crazy, but I do have to note that I was getting some French cafe vibes, and I know that this this show does not take place in a French cafe. Right. It also seems kind of sad, which I think, obviously, with the title, it probably <laughs> is sad. But it also seems kind of romantic, which is nice. And yeah, let's see. All right. Act one, Tuesday evening. The curtain rises on a street in the city of Brooklyn. It is May 1890. In the back room of Stanton's Court Cafe, the local politicians are about See? to nominate... cafe! Oh, there we go. But this isn't France. Well, at least it's a cafe. The local politicians are about to nominate young ward leader Matthew Stanton for mayor. He is a formidable opponent for the crusty incumbent Ned Quinn. Stanton relates how he sailed out of Cork Harbor 12 years before, survived the perils of the transatlantic crossing, and the first years of poverty in America, and swore that he'd fight for power. And that leads to the first song, The End of My Race. The women behind the partition, hair snarled and all salted with lice. The men with beards on them like tinkers, blue with filth and a draft cold as ice. I walked up to a bitch of a doctor Who says in a voice like a lathe I don't know what you do in Ireland In America we bathe I saw the men round me all cower Then laugh as a jackass will bray And I made a vow that same hour I'd fight till I came to this day. Well, I'm glad we talked about Mitch Lee before we listened to this mm -hmm. because I have a feeling <laughs> this is going to sound a lot like Man of La Mancha. Yes. And this sounds like, I am my donkey. Oh, there we go. I was like, I, this sounds like a Man of La Mancha song. I have to admit, I don't know Man of La Mancha that, that, that well, but I do know that song. <laughs> There we go. Uh, <laughs> I like the imagery. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this was taken from a monologue from the original play, but the cussing kind of comes out of nowhere. <laughs> it kind of feels like when a middle schooler is doing a show they shouldn't be doing and they're saying words that they shouldn't be saying. Yeah, it kind of feels ingenuine. Yeah, being like, this bitch of a doctor. <laughs> like, whoa, okay. I mean, he that doctor didn't seem very nice, but still. And he also says jackasses, but I think he actually means jackasses, like donkeys. Oh. <laughs> and this is something that we both said while listening to it. I thought he'd sound Irish. Right. Isn't he supposed to be actually Irish? He doesn't sound Irish. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Last thing I want to mention about this is that this is kind of the opening number. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer for an opening number. They chose one person instead of the rest of the 180. <laughs> I'm waiting for them to show up. <laughs> Later, Stanton's constituents gather to meet Kathleen, his beautiful and aristocratic wife. Mm. Her warm greeting puts them at ease. And she sings. Oh, wow. How are you since? Question mark. What? How are you since? Is there a comma? Yeah. 
how are you, comma, since, question mark. I don't understand the phrase. Is she Irish? Whose girlfriend is she? Stanton's wife. Who's Stanton? Stanton is the man who just sang. The guy who is running for mayor. Okay. Yes. Stanton, running for mayor, Irish guy, just got here. This is his wife. She's singing a grammatically incorrect song. May the angels floating near you set aside their lyres, bend their golden heads to hear you whisper all your heart's desires. How are you, sis? Sunshine be ever on you. How are you, sis? Shine day and night on you. Greetings, God be with you. surprised me i actually really liked it a lot it made me feel good it did yes it made me feel kind of icky and sad uh, really it, it gave me like slight goosebumps and not just the end powerful long note but when the chorus started singing and then she came back in i was like "Woo!" i mean i like it it just feels a little dirgy to me interesting to me okay but I like her voice so much. Mm-hmm. Me too. It is intense. The vibrato's a little much for me, but I got used <laughs> to it halfway through the song. I was thinking that if she wasn't singing so classically, this song could sound very modern. I mean, modern in that it could sound like Come From Away? Something like that, yeah. Because that's the only thing I could think of hmm. that's modern that sounds a little bit like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, she established that she is Irish. <laughs> so she is Irish as Thank well. Thank goodness. <laughs> and she had a slight accent. She sings with such pure vowels. I don't think she's messing around with her singing. <laughs> I think she's just like, I sing the way I sing, I'll act with accent. <laughs> <laughs> she does have one really cute rhyme in this song that we didn't play for you. It's a verse that's to the same melody as the verse you heard her sing, so you can envision, but it's, I could love you like a brother, have we met somewhere. Let's reach out to one another till rejoicing fills the air. <laughs> it feels a little hippy-dippy, but also Christmassy all at the same time. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it does. I'm confused, but I enjoy it. <laughs> I hope she sings more. I have a feeling she will. Well, I don't know what's happening. Well, let's move on to the next day. Wednesday morning. Mayor Quinn approaches the court cafe, bitter about Stanton's success. Quote, I made him and I can break him too, he swears. It was indeed Quinn who took Stanton under his mayoral wing and taught him what there was to know about politics. But Quinn's kindness was not repaid. His mistress, Agnes Hogan, became infatuated with Stanton and left Quinn for him. Oh no, there's too many people. Uh, okay, wait. Mistress. Yes. Was with the old mayor. Yes. Quinn. Who's the current mayor? Oh, what? I thought Stanton. Is running for mayor. Oh, is running for mayor. So the current mayor, Quinn, mm -hmm. had a mistress. Yes. But now this politically charged lady is like, oh, there's a new up and coming man. I must mm -hmm. get in his pants. 
So she's going after Stanton, even though he's married to beautiful opera singer lady. Yes, exactly. How dare she? So he, she was a, like a double mistress. She was a mistress for the mayor and the future maybe mayor. Maybe she comes with the position. Oh, maybe. <laughs> oh, Agnes. Oh, Agnes. <laughs> Perfect name. Quinn goes into the back room and there surprises his own commissioners as they are voting on Stanton's nomination. Quote, I didn't stay mayor of this city for 30 years by taking orders, Quinn says. You tell the party board I'll rot in prison before I'll let Matt Stanton take my place. There's not a one of you I can't get at. And he sings The Mayor's Chair. The Mayor Chair. The Mayor Chair. Watch your dad was a plug in sand and gravel When I made alderman in 51 When someone painted nuts on his wheelbarrow He thought it was his name they'd painted on Murphy, I let you run the board of welfare For years you've starved the sick and choked the poor They fare no better than the souls in hellfare And you're as wealthy as a Paris whore Of all the thankless flunkies You win the brass kazoo Without the brains of monkeys You want to run the zoo We'll see who is the faster Outsmart me, Paolo Fair I'll show you who is master And in the mayor's chair I have so many things to say. (laughs) I love this song. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. This is another home run song for me. There's so many funny lyrics. I can't even name them all, but you heard some of them. I don't even understand the nut joke, to be honest with you. If anyone does, please (laughs) write in because I don't get it. I love that he calls these, what are they? What are these people that he's yelling at? The constituents. The constituents. He calls them Paris whores, as as rich as Paris whores. (laughs) I can't. And then he rolls the R. He's so fancy. And this song is so triumphantly angry. Yes. Like, it's very positively angry. It's definitely a mayor angry song. Mm -hmm. It is. (laughs) And something that I've been forgetting to talk about this entire time, but this song, I can't ignore it. The time signatures of these songs and the counting that these singers have to use to perform them is insane. Yes. It's very difficult. It is. I would have a hard time. My only, like, possibly negative, but I don't really mind so much, is his accent. He's very clearly Irish, but sometimes he sounds maybe Irish-Italian. But that's okay, because then you can roll your R's on whore. (laughs) Whore! (laughs) So we're moving on to Wednesday evening. Wow. We're really inchworming along. (laughs) So it went from Tuesday evening to Wednesday morning, and now is Wednesday evening. Father Coyne visits Stanton and urges him to see Agnes Hogan before she dies. Oh. Completely not mentioned before. Wow. (laughs) Stanton refuses to see this woman who played such an important part in building his career. What? How? I I, I don't know. She was there by his side. She, She cheered him on or something. I don't know. 
gross. Mm -hmm. Although he knows Kathleen is ignorant of his affair with Ag, and not at all suspicious, he becomes sheepishly passive and allows her to sweep him into her romantic fantasies. Which leads to the song, The Veranda Waltz. Ah, the gentleman is out on the veranda. (laughs) That's all I can think about when you say veranda. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Put your cheek against my cheek, dear. Let our fingers intertwine. Keep me waltzing till I'm weak, dear. While you promise you'll be mine. Waltz me round the long veranda as you steal a brazen kiss. waltz it's so cute it is i mean they seem to make their way into a lot of musicals waltzes especially mr rogers <laughs> oh yes it does feel like very romantic mm-hmm. and i just the song is making me sad i love it like it's very sweet and if it was a healthy couple having <laughs> this moment it wouldn't make me sad but Knowing the backstory, I kind of feel like this is her saying, I know what you're doing. Mm. Stay with me. Don't go. Interesting. Like, she knows. She's not dumb. Because even for a waltz, it just sounded kind of melancholy. Yeah, it did. It sounded like when the music box is coming to the last round of, like, it's running Mm. out of energy Mm -hmm. or whatever and it's kind of slowing down and things are starting to turn a little funky (laughs) but i think she's really sweet i really love her yeah i liked this okay let's go let's see i don't want her to get her heart broken well now we're moving into thursday evening agnes hogan dies okay that's fine The street rats, who miss little of what goes on around them, reenact the confrontation they imagine took place when Stanton came in and found Ag in bed with her former lover, Quinn. That's the rats. The confrontation that turns (laughs) Stanton. Sorry. (laughs) That was them reenacting it. Perfect. We don't even have to hear the song. The confrontation that turned Stanton away from her forever and became the cause of her death. What? Which leads to the song, The Wages of Sin. Oh, man. Okay, so now we're going to hear half of... No, it's all of them. All of the ensemble? No, it's old... The Street Rats are three people. Oh, okay. So Mm -hmm. by the mathematics of the back cover, it should be (laughs) sounding like around... Yes, it should. Gotcha. Let's see. All right. I must be Matt, and you must be Ned. When Matt came in and found them both in bed, and you must be Ag. Who is that 
cute. Yeah. And confusing. We didn't yes. play all of the confusing part because <laughs> it was confusing. Mm -hmm. We just wanted to show you the cute part. <laughs> but I don't know if you noticed, but all those little boys sound the same. Exactly. So they go on to explain in great detail the moment where <laughs> Stanton came in when Quinn and Agnes were in bed together. It's really weird and pretty clever, I think, to make the darkest scene of the show so far a kid's reenactment. Yeah, it is, because I didn't even know it was dark. Is it Well, how is it dark? Well, it's just that he walks in on his cheating mistress, and then she says, if you leave me, I'll die. And it's well, just... I would just say it's dramatic, Okay, not it's dramatic. Dark. Oh, you're right. I think the darkest thing was that opening song where maggots were in people's hair and people <laughs> were... <laughs> being really gross true true i wonder if these kids were all friends from doing oliver somewhere <laughs> or something because they're just so cute i could also see them in les mis but they weren't this cute and little by the time les mis came around yeah <laughs> it's funny i'm usually mixed going into a show when i see that there's kids in it possibly because i'm like not a huge fan of oliver but when i see kids in a show i end up liking them yeah, these kids are cute, and they're super talented. I hope we see more of them. I don't know about that. <laughs> I can't tell their voices apart. If they're going to explain any more stories, I'm going to be really confused. <laughs> mm -hmm. I got that. Well, let's see. Kathleen takes charge of making the arrangements for Ag Hogan's funeral and wake. What? Yeah, I don't know. This is surprising. <laughs> I do not understand that at all <laughs> kathleen is a very nice woman mm -hmm. go on the wake will be held in the stanton's parlor because kathleen knows that ag was good to stanton when he was young what she tried like yesterday <laughs> what do you mean when he was young she wonders what her husband was like in the days before she knew him and realizes that even now she hardly knows him at all Duh. And she sings, Who to love if not a stranger? Oh, yay, she sings again. Yeah. Complacently in my tower, I idled my life away till that strange disturbing hour, till that whirlwind of a day, loving, longing, laughing, crying. I abandoned all I knew. You said, come, and I went flying. There was nothing else to do. I'm kind of living for these dramatic songs. It's a lot. It is a lot. Very dramatic. So the music to me says like very strong woman because she's very powerful, but I'm not sure if the script necessarily suggests that at the moment. Well, she's strong in that she just held the funeral in her own freaking house without losing her mind for her husband's mistress. Does she know that yet, though? 
I think she knows. I think she knew when she sang that other song. Uh, I think that that was her saying, I know where you're going, and I'm asking you to stay with me. And this is like the test. And this song really is about how she does not know her husband. Mm hmm. And I did write down this lyric. You are strange to me, strange in every way. Total mystery. Something new to be discovered every day. Well, that sounds hopeful. It does. Not like a breakup song where it's like, I don't even know you. No, it's like, there's so many things about you. I don't know. How amazing. Which there's good things to be said for both of those aspects. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. I just can't get over her voice. It is so strong. It is so strong. It is so unique. I also had to stop the recording because I had to figure this out. The beginning of what I just played for you, which is kind of the bridge, I would say, Mm -hmm. of the song. It randomly, kind of, to my crazy ears, we're back to my crazy ears again, (laughs) sounds a little bit like Oklahoma. What are you talking about, Jen? (laughs) What are you saying? Yes, it sounds like, oh, the cattle are standing like statues. To my crazy ears. No, it definitely sounds like that. (laughs) I didn't hear it until you pointed it out. It was bothering me, so I had to, like, stop and hum it to myself. (laughs) I was like, why are you stopping this crazy song? It is so good. Okay, I'm excited. Let's go. All right. But Stanton knows himself and knows what he wants to attain. With confidence, he reaffirms his credo and sings, Search Your Heart. Wait, does he just sing this immediately after this song is over? It seems like it. It is two sentences later, according to this. And no scene or dialogue seems to have happened in between. (laughs) No. (laughs) Maybe they're just in separate rooms, just... Maybe. The lights dim on her, the lights come up on him. These are like parallel scenes. I guess. Let's hear his side of the story. All right. He gave us heart and hope and might to make us strong and wise. He flung the stars across the night that we might lift our eyes with good men to stand beside. Search your heart and let it guide you. Search your heart, you'll find you're free. Wow. Yeah. I gotta say, it sounds a bit familiar. Oh? It sounds... A lot like the impossible dream. <laughs> you didn't even catch that. You didn't? No, I thought it sounded kind of lemizzy. No. It's even that change from the, I think it's the verse to the end. It's the, this is my quest to follow the star. <laughs> You're completely it also has correct. all the star imagery in there. And then at the end, it's the exact opposite of the impossible dream. He says, you will find your dream. (laughs) (laughs) It's not impossible. You're going to find it. Maybe five years after Man of La Mancha came out, Mitch Lee changed his mind on the dream. 
I guess. But he didn't write these lyrics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forget about that. That's. I just think it's funny that somehow he must have said, no, 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 no. I want there to be something about stars and dreams and how impossible they might seem, <laughs> but they're not impossible anymore. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. That's what I need. That's what I felt when I was I was writing this song. <laughs> he wanted Impossible Dream the sequel. And Basically. This is it. I mean, this is a good song. It's really good. Th- these male songs in general, uh, they really drum something up in me. And that's kind of pun intended because there's a loud snare in a you lot of them. You are such a dork. <laughs> it was very weirdly uplifting. It did seem to come out of nowhere. Well, I don't know what you're going to pick for your audition song, but... If anyone's auditioning for Man of La Mancha anytime soon, <laughs> use this song. Mm-hmm, for sure. So now we're moving on to Friday evening. Friday evening. Quinn's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Is it Friday? Friday evening. Oh, okay. It is okay. Friday. It is Thank Friday. you. It's funny. There was no Friday morning. It went from Thursday evening to Friday evening. Mikey, do you realize that most shows take place in the span of months, <laughs> some even years, and you're worried about missing one morning of these people's lives? That's, yes, yes. <laughs> well, it is Friday evening. Uh-huh. Quinn's right-hand man, Petey Boyle, leads the mourners at Ag Hogan's Wake, which leads to the title song, Cry for Us All. What quenched the flame in her hair? So I think you'll agree with me on this. This sounds like that musical version of James Joyce's The Dead that starred Christopher Walken. It does. <laughs> it really, really does. And I don't know if that's just because it's Irish and dirgy-ish. In my head, every song in that show sounds like this. I don't know. Some <laughs> of them sound Christmassy. Cause... That's true. It does take place in Christmas. Yes. In Christmas. In Christmas, yes. <laughs> the most Christmassy of all musicals, James Joyce's The Dead. Yes. So this song has dark, depressing imagery, but it is a funeral. It actually seems a little bit happier than I thought it would. There is a tinge of happiness in there. I don't know if that's intended. It's kind of triumphant. Yeah, it feels like going into battle and winning. Yeah, I think it's funny, too. They say cry for this creature and cry for all of us, too. (laughs) 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 Yeah, to me, solid song. Yeah, I like it. I like the harmonies a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they sound like 180 people, necessarily. No. <laughs> they sound like 18. And that's good. And that is a fine number of people to have. There are choruses with less than 18 people. Oh, yes. Well, so they've cried for everyone. Let's see what happens next. Is it Act 2 yet? There is no Act 2. Oh. What? Yes, I know the beginning of the show I said Act 1 because it says Act 1, but this is a one act. Wait, but th- that would have been a perfect place 
to have an act break that song it feels like an act break you would think it is halfway through the songs okay whatever live your life let's go all right outside kathleen meets quinn who has been drinking for hours and rehashing in his mind the conflict with stanton she is stunned when quinn relates how stanton lived with ag hogan and used her in his quest for power wait who lived with who ag hogan lived with stanton how he's married I think this is before. Oh, in the before times. Yes. I Whoa. believe that is the case. In the old country. I think it's still in this country. Uh, I am I unsure thinking, of the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking they're like recent immigrants, but I guess they're not. I mean, 12 super... years is fairly recent. Right. But I'm thinking like a year. Like uh, I'm thinking that everything in their backstory happened in Ireland, which is not true. <laughs> when she goes inside to join the mourners and sees Stanton standing over Ag's coffin, Kathleen is suddenly unable to face what Quinn has just told her. She runs out of the house into the darkness. Wait, did she not know this? I don't think she did. Oh no, I thought that she did. I mean, she knew that Ag was good to Stanton when he was young, but I don't think she knows of this relationship. Oh crap. Okay. Later Friday evening, Kathleen has been wandering the streets when Bessie Legg, a backroom girl, (laughs) (laughs) finds her and brings her home. Oh, Bessie. Bessie has been around for a long time and knows that there isn't a man on earth worth suffering over. I feel like every backroom girl named Bessie knows this information. For sure. (laughs) Well, we're about to hear it in song. She sings a song called Swing Your Bag. Oh, like pack it up and go? Oh, I guess so. I don't know. I was thinking like, you know, when you swing around your backpack when you're a child. Do people do that? I never did that. (laughs) But maybe that's because I was really smart and I had a lot of books in there and I couldn't just swing it around. (laughs) I remember putting my backpack on on numerous occasions and then falling backwards. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I just liked the centrifugal force. Ah, Mm -hmm. the physics genius over there. (laughs) All right, let's listen to Bessie. All right. And I'm going to try really hard and not envision Bessie as a cow. <laughs> oh, no. Because I was the same thing. that's the name of every cow in every story ever. And her last name is Leg, which is even stranger. Yeah, that's like a cut of meat. That's like what you'd call Bessie when she goes to, to the butcher. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, let's go. All right. Moo. Just kidding. Don't waste no tears on him, missus. A guy is a born grafter. A guy is a born sport. All a guy is after is a mattress and a snort. So when he gets itchy britches and lies about some hag, just say, no son of a bitch is going to make my life a drag. And swing, you're a bag. When your life's a crying jag, without the sauce, and your guy is going stag. A total loss. Go put down your gladdest rag. Give your lavalier a wag and swing your bag. Swing your bag. Swing your bag. So 
she doesn't sound like a cow at all. Not at all. She sounds like an awesome lady <laughs> who could either be my best friend or be me. Just saying. <laughs> I feel like you were waiting for a song like this, and here it is. I know. She kind of came out of nowhere, and I knew she was going to come because not everything in a musical that happened in 1970 can be all opera-y. That's true. In my opinion. I mean, in just my experience, too. Like, there's always got to be the one girl who's like, I'm brassy and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and here she is. And, I, of course, she has to be, like, the backroom girl. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the backroom girl. I'll never get over that. I still don't quite understand all the phrases in this. I don't really understand swing your bag, but that's okay. I don't either. Maybe it's a common Irish phrase perhaps that i don't understand maybe it's a period irish phrase that we really wouldn't understand like is it packing your bag or is it like creating havoc it could mean either <laughs> i don't know i think it's i initially thought it was going to be like pack up and move out but now it seems like she's hitting him or abusing him in some way or like getting vengeance in a part we didn't play for you, she mentions going at him with knives. <laughs> so I think that uh, swing your bag could mean a lot of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it a dead body? No. No, no, no. Okay. No, no. I think we're, we're, this is a dark show, but it, I think that might be a little too dark. Okay, okay. But I really, really like her. I hope we hear more of her. There aren't too many songs left. Oh, but really? We'll see. I feel like she's a one-off character. I don't have high hopes for her singing once more, but I do think I'll be playing this song on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen believes it too for a while, but loses control when she goes inside and sees Stanton. Wait, believes what too? That she should swing her bag? That there isn't a man on earth worth suffering for. Oh, I forgot. That was like a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> Why was I the one soul who didn't know of you and Agnes, she says. Why was she the one soul? I really thought she knew. I have no clue. Wow, she was made a fool of in this town. This seems like a small, I know it's Brooklyn, like the general Brooklyn, but it seems like a small community. Right, exactly. Quote, you loved her, didn't you? You love her still. And that leads to the song, That Slavery is Love. <laughs> speaks re-echoes for a thousand weeks a sigh can flood your heart with doubt a gesture turn you inside out and every vow to say goodbye stands firm as snowflakes in July that's super powerful Kathleen song. Yeah, holy moly. I love it. I don't know how she can do all of these all the time. 
Me neither. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why the show closed so oh, fast. Oh, true. Yes. Maybe she started getting really tired. Maybe it didn't sound like this. Maybe <laughs> not. I mean, this this is hard. Oh yeah. I wanted to call this a song. It is a song, but is it an aria? Like it's. It is up there. Mm-hmm. And. I mean, for me, everything is up there because I'm not a soprano. <laughs> but I think even for the average soprano, this is up there. Yes. Right? Am I wrong? Oh, I don't for know. sure. It's very opera soprano versus musical theater soprano, mm-hmm. which are two different ranges, in my opinion. I do think that this gets a little bit into aria land when we're up on those refrain notes mm-hmm. where I really can't understand what she's saying. The only reason I know what she's saying is because it's the title of the song and you <laughs> told me beforehand, which was, what was it again? Slavery something love? Slavery is love. Okay. And I don't like that word slavery. I mean, I think that's our personal yeah lens on it, maybe. I think this is more of a I'm a slave for you, a la Britney Spears slavery. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. Never would I ever have thought of Britney Spears in congruency with this song. I mean, it's a very different song. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. Yes, yes, yes. Love Slave. I don't think anyone can use this for an audition song. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can if you have an amazing opera voice. I just don't have that. <laughs> And it's also just a heartbreaking song, like all this stuff about how she feels trapped, how she knows everyone is talking about her, but she lets them. It's just terrible. It is probably the most powerful of hers so far. I don't know if she has another one. Oh, gosh. She's had I don't so know many. if I can handle it. I don't know if she can handle it. Well, let's see. Okay. Stanton insists that in his heart, Ag has been dead for years. Whoa. But Kathleen is not convinced. Outside on the street, the three street rats play hide-and-seek <laughs> oh. with an officer from the Jerry Society. And they sing the song, The Cruelty Man. Is that the police officer? Oh, I guess. I don't like know. you gotta hide from the cruelty man. <laughs> this seems to come out of nowhere, but maybe the content of the song will prove otherwise. I'm so happy we get to hear the kids again. I thought they were one-offs like Bessie. But we get them again. Yay! Afternoon or night or morning, hear a step, you know it is. He don't ever give no warning, look behind and there he is. Eyes like lightning, bugs to freeze you, feet as fast as sailor rats. Mitts like iron claws to seize you, heart just like a vampire bat. Look out for the cruelty man, the cruelty man. He can see through you like nobody can. He works for the city, he ain't got no pity. The cruelty, 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 cruelty man. I love these kids. Yeah, me too. I hate that they have to hide from this terrible man. (laughs) But they seem happy about it, which confuses me. It is so interesting that these kids are used in this plot to break up the seriousness of what's happening, but everything they sing about is so serious. I kind of love that, though, because that's so unexpected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And creepy or terrible things coming out of the mouths of babes <laughs> makes it less creepy. Or more creepy in some cases, but when it's also paired with a jaunty vaudevillian tune, <laughs> it definitely seems peppy. <laughs> For sure. I know it's three of them, but they kind of sound like the duet All for the Best from Godspell. One of the best songs of that show. Just, I think, because of the vaudevillian sound. But they're so cute. I wish they three were nominated for a joint Tony. They should have been. (laughs) They're the best. And honestly, after that really, really intense opera-y depressing song this is exactly what you need for sure like their timing is impeccable now it is a song again about child protective services yeah things like that are there to help children who Mm -hmm. don't have parents and little street rats like this who are living on their own but they were often abused and not taken care of I mean, as we saw in Oliver and Annie and all of those things about little orphan children. So that's basically what they're hiding from, which is terrible. But they make it fun. I hope we see them again. But number one, if we see them again, that means that something really terrible happened right before we saw them. For sure. And also, I don't know how much of the show we have left. Not very much. Okay, let's go. All right. Is Kathleen going to kill Stanton? Maybe. Wait, do you know? I do. Oh, crap. Okay, don't answer. (laughs) (laughs) Saturday night. Mayor Quinn and Petey Boyle meet surreptitiously at the back door of Ag Hogan's flat. Quinn finds the marriage certificate of Ag Hogan and Matthew Stanton. What? And reveals to Boyle how he will use it against Stanton. I don't think you have to explain that to anyone. I think we all know, but okay. (laughs) It's fairly obvious. (laughs) Boyle leaves him alone in the night to remember Ag Hogan and how deeply he loved her. And it looks like Quinn sings, Aggie, oh Aggie. Okay. I just, why are we wasting time with this? I need to know what's happening (laughs) with the marriage certificate. But okay, okay. Slightly creepy, but beautiful and, like, really sweet at the same time. What? It's not creepy. I think it's just the music feeling. It's so sad. And as someone who didn't even want it to be there, I definitely cried. (laughs) (laughs) It very accurately depicts what grief feels like. Exactly. I was about to say that. You can really feel his loss through this song. And Stanton doesn't really seem to care in comparison So am I rooting for Quinn? I'm confused at that, but I love this song. I love the how- Well, I think, Mikey, you just hit the nail on the head. Mm. It's cry for us all, not cry for Stanton 
for cry for <laughs> Kathleen. True. It's everybody. Oh, you're right. So I think we're just supposed to see everyone's perspective and realize what a shitty situation Aggie created. See, we never met her, so I'm allowed to be pissed at her. <laughs> it's true. We don't meet her at <laughs> all. She's the scapegoat for everything. <laughs> I do want to say I love the line, how in Christ can I go on? I don't know what it is about that, but it was great at the end of this song. Well, it's very Irish. Whew. What a song. Yeah. I like it. In that cathartic way. I don't like it like it. Like, I wouldn't put it on a mixtape at a party (laughs) (laughs) no i would love to play this role and i'm saying that right now oh yeah i'll be best it's fine (laughs) i can be best at any age that's the joy of that role too oh yeah she doesn't have to be any age she's ageless (laughs) and i love her this role i think is aged i think this guy is old oh yeah he's old something for you to grow into already planning the revival (laughs) All right, let's see what he does do with this marriage certificate. I mean, I wonder. (laughs) I mean, I guess there's options of how to reveal it. Like, he could pin it on the pub or something. Or he could go up straight to Kathleen and be like, look what I found. (laughs) So those are kind of the two options I have in my brain. (laughs) Let's see. Sunday afternoon. At the big party shindig. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit redundant. Mm -hmm. At the big party shindig, everyone seems happy except Petey Boyle. He cannot understand why his annual contribution to the festivities isn't appreciated by the ladies. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe it's in this song, The Leg of the Duck. (laughs) What is that? I don't know. Is that like an old Irish version of Dick in a Box? (laughs) Oh, no! Uh Uh-oh. Just kidding. No, no, no. I'd nothing in my coffers They didn't gobble up Till one thing I did offer them That made them run amok I gave it to Amy She said it's too gamey The leg of the duck The leg of the duck I gave it to Minnie She said it's too skinny The leg of the duck the leg of the duck. I gave it to Bessie. She said, Lord, it's messy. The leg of the duck. The leg of the duck. I gave it to Sally. She set up your alley. The leg of the duck. The leg of the duck. What on earth would be the matter? They all fought the corn beef grand. They had apples fried in batter. I don't really understand. Okay, so I know I was joking before when I said the dick in the box thing, <laughs> but I really think that's what it is. I, I'm so torn. So I just realized that I've been referencing this thing called dick in a box. <laughs> and maybe not everyone knows that it's actually a reference and not something from my crazy mind. <laughs> so here's a little explanation on what that is. And if you already know this, you can skip ahead like 15, 30 seconds. Mikey... Take it away! Sure, so it was a little song written by Andy Samberg, and it was performed by Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake on SNL. So, you can Google it. I I don't know if I really want to put it up on the Instagram. But, maybe I will. I don't (laughs) know. Who knows what I'll put up there. But you should look it up so you know what I'm talking about. It was very popular with millennials. It was. It was very funny. 
So that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, geez. I don't know if I'm old or young in this scenario. I think we're in the in-between. Yeah. It's just this is a thing that happened to our age group and we all found it funny. Mm-hmm. So if you're not in our age group. Sorry. Or you're welcome. <laughs> now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. <laughs> I mean, dick jokes aren't like a new thing. You know, they were in Shakespeare's time, so it's very possible. But I don't know. I guess it is that. <laughs> this was playing on Broadway with hair. Let's remember that. You're right. So culturally for this actual time period that this show is playing in, referencing that would be totally fine. Now, in the late 1800s, when the show is taking place, it would be so saucy to talk about that. <laughs> but they're in a pub. And he's obviously friends with Bess, who I think is fine with all of that jargon. I really think it's a euphemism for his private area. Well, let us know what you all think. I'm still torn. I think he's saying these two guys are all fighting over this one girl. And he's just trying to get with someone and he can't. (laughs) You mean he's not just saying that like all these people don't want what I brought to the potluck? I mean, I think it's a euphemism. (laughs) I also think that if that's true, all the things he's saying about the leg of the duck are really funny. (laughs) I mean, there's only uh, two duck legs, and he can't give two duck legs to, like, four people. Five people? I think he names five. He names a lot. (laughs) In this cut that we have for you, he names a few, but he goes on to name more. Also, before this cut, he lists off all the other foods that he had at his table. And they sound like real foods, so that's why it gets a little weird. Mm -hmm. But I guess if it is indeed his... mm -hmm, (laughs) Then it would make a lot more sense in the context of the show than just this random song about how no one wants to eat his food. I mean, it still doesn't really make sense. (laughs) I'm just trying to make it make sense. But this does follow the pattern of really sad song followed by really happy kind of random song. (laughs) I really like his voice, though. I like all the male voices in this show. It's very powerful, strong. Yeah, but he's still tenory. Yeah. Well, baritone tenory on the cusp. Very cusp. Classical. Classical. That's the word I'm looking for. Adorable. Even though he's talking about things that are not adorable. Like food. Uh, Like food. (laughs) Okay. Let's see if anyone takes his leg of the duck. Suddenly, Stanton interrupts the gaiety to announce that Quinn has conceded the nomination to him and has asked Kathleen alone for a few moments. Wait, so Quinn asked to talk to Kathleen? That is not a good sign, Stanton. Yes, that is what he is saying. I had to reread the sentence. So he's going with option two. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Option two, indeed. The crowd cheers. The candidate and his followers exuberantly sing the praises of life in America. They sing, this cornucopian land. I forgot that America was all about cornucopias for a minute. (laughs) Remember that? Like you you talked about that in school a lot. Yeah. Especially around Thanksgiving, there were always cornucopias. I think there are still cornucopias, like, in pictures. Yeah, but you don't hear about them as often. Maybe that's just because I'm not around elementary school age (laughs) children. But, yeah, okay, cornucopias, back on the docket. (laughs) Okay. A million money 
trees stretch from Brooklyn to the west. The slightest breeze drops a fortune in your vest. The turkeys grow big as buffalo in this cornucopian land. Oh, you could near go blind from the streets veneered with gold. Each girl you find does exactly as she's told. Asparagus are as tall as us in this great utopian land. The fairies are big, the cherries are big, the parks and cemeteries are big, the houses are big, the trousers are big, I'm happy to say all the blouses are big, there's muscle a lot, bustle a lot, girls look like Lillian Russell a lot, the flies are immense, the lies are immense, and yet it all makes sense. Wonders of our great nation defy the imagination. Acres of orchids that grow as high as oaks. All the New York kids buy sables for their folks. No fooling right. How very 4th of July. Oh my gosh, it does sound kind of 4th of July y. <laughs> and also kind of music man y. Oh, yeah, a little bit. So, Stanson's very happy. He is. This song has a very clear purpose. It is showing how exuberant Stanton is while something is lurking behind. It's the high before the low. And it's also America Hooray. (laughs) America Hooray. (laughs) Yes. It is a little bit from the mountains Mm -hmm. to the... Let me list all the things that I love about America. And they're fully utilizing that chorus of 180. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love how he talks about in America everything being big. Mm -hmm. That's great. But why must we bring blouse sizes into it? It's a bit (laughs) weird. It it is for sure (laughs) odd. And I think at this point, we're not supposed to like Stanton that much anyway. Oh, I don't think that that is supposed to make a difference on his character. He obviously loves the female form. Oh, true. (laughs) True. We're almost at the end. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. That means it's going to be... Is Kathleen really going to kill him? What's going to happen? Let's see the thrilling conclusion. I'm actually really scared. (laughs) (laughs) Such drama. This is a lot for one week. Not even a week. It's a Tuesday through Sunday. Okay. (laughs) Kathleen meets with Quinn. He tells her that he has no choice but to do what he must do. He hands her the marriage certificate. Yes, this is what I said he was going to do. He has taken from the Ag Hogan house. Sunday evening. Kathleen has packed her bags. She's leaving Stanton. She's swinging her bag. He pleads with her to stay. Quote, it's all over, he says. No shit, she's dead. <laughs> Oh, this makes more sense now. Quote, they gave the nomination back to Quinn. He brought me to the pitch of hope and betrayed me. I have nothing left. I need you. Oh, so he not only handed it to her, but probably put it on the bulletin board at the pub. I believe so. So, D all of the above. Quote, you're free now, Maddie. She says. Maddie. Oh, Matty. Yes, Matty. You're free now, Matty. Uh-huh. She says, "Oh, geez. her voice breaking, quote, I'm not your wife. I never was. Whoa, whoa. 
Bum, 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 bum. That was my attempt at the EastEnders. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. Yes, that. (laughs) Stanton rushes wildly up the stairs to grab her. They struggle, and Kathleen falls to the ground below. Her neck is broken. (gasps) Stanton holds her in his arms. And that leads to the finale. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Are... What? Oh. (laughs) I was not expecting that. It is very surprising. I don't know if I'm okay. Well, let's hear the finale. I... Oh, no. This is not going to be a <laughs> <No>. <laughs> happy finale. Raise the key, lover. Will you raise the key? What is there in me and you Amazing. Jack. Easy. Oh, Father, help me for the love of Jesus. Help me. God in heaven, help me and forgive me. for you because it's really really long is they actually have the scene like the last scene where Kathleen is talking to Stanton which I don't really understand because apparently she broke her neck how are you talking if you broke your neck but I don't know and then randomly a priest shows up and yeah he does seem to come out of nowhere yeah i don't know i mean are they in an apartment did everyone hear her fall down the stairs is that what happened i have no idea um so he wants to give her last rites and stanton is like holding her and she's saying like oh stanton you did love me and then she dies and then all of stanton's friends show up out of nowhere and say like don't worry man we can say you know it was an accident and you know, we'll we'll back you up. And he's like, no, I need to take the punishment for what I have done. An appropriate ending to the show. And then the chorus comes in and sings. <laughs> this was a lot. For sure. I actually, maybe it's just where I am currently emotionally with my life. But I feel like I really needed this show. Like, I like it. Me too. And I know it's really sad, but it's cathartically sad. Maybe? I think you need shows like this for sure. Not everything can be funny thing happen on the way to the forum or <laughs> You're just saying it because it has the word funny yes. in the title. <laughs> or funny girl. Or <laughs> funny face. Or funny lady. Yeah, some things need to be like parade. Yeah, this falls in line with the same feeling you get when you see Parade. Mm -hmm. That emotional release. And yes, of course, this is 
a terrible, terrible thing. Parade and this are kind of apples and oranges because Parade has the added layer of it being real. Mm-hmm. But we will learn later, um, spoiler alert, that this is based off of a play that was based off of the writer's grandmother. Correct. So I don't know if she saw something like this or if something like this was happening around her. So in a in a sense, this could be based off of something real as well, just not historically notated. Mm-hmm. All right. So since I teased it already, why don't we get into some of the other people that made this show possible? So we'll start off with Phyllis Robinson, who is the co-lyricist. She was born on October 22nd, 1921 in New York City. She pursued a career in advertising and eventually became an ad executive and copywriter and headed an ad campaign for Polaroid at one point. Cry For Us All is her only Broadway credit, but she is also credited as writing the book, lyrics, and music to a very lost musical called Angel Levine, based on a Bernard Malamud short story of the same name. We can't find anything else about it anywhere. The only other music credit we could find for Miss Robinson was for co-writing the song Oh Baby Baby, as recorded by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles in 1965. And if you're trying to remember what song that is, it's the one that goes, Ooh, baby, baby. Right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. She died on December 31st, 2010. So the other co-lyricist and also the co-book writer for Cry For Us All was William Alfred. He was born on August 22nd, 1922 in Brooklyn, New York, the son of an Irish bricklayer and a telephone operator. He was drafted into the army in 1943, two years into his undergrad at Brooklyn College. In the army, he wrote poems that were published in American Poet. While getting his PhD at Harvard, he wrote a play adaptation of Agamemnon that was well-received when it was performed, oddly enough, at the Carter Rep at Princeton University. Immediately after receiving his PhD in English, with a specialization on the literature of medieval England in 1954, he became a Harvard professor and continued to teach for them until he retired in 1991. His second professionally produced play was Hogan's Goat, the play that this show, Cry For Us All, was adapted from. It was based on his great-grandmother's life experiences and ran for 607 performances off-Broadway. Ah, great-grandmother. I got it a bit wrong there. (laughs) Hogan's Goat won him a drama desk for Best Playwright. It also was said to have launched Faye Dunaway's acting career. And supposedly, Hogan's Goat was one of only two plays discussed to win the Pulitzer in drama in 1966, but ultimately no plays won that year. William Alfred's only other Broadway acting credit was the play Curse of an Aching Heart in 1982. He died on May 20th, 1999. The other co-book writer and director of Cry For Us All was Albert Marr. He was born on September 20th, 1924 in New York as Albert Elliot Moschinsky. He attended Oberlin, then served in the Navy, after which he briefly studied law at Harvard University, until he and other students started the Brattle Theatre Company, a classical repertory company. The Brattle Theatre now is a non-profit independent cinema. 
He made his Broadway debut in 1950, acting and associate directing in the revival of The Relapse. After that, he went on to direct many plays and musicals on Broadway, including Milk and Honey, which was featured in episode two, and Kismet, where he met his wife, Joan Diener, who played Laloom. He also directed a musical in L.A. called At the Grand, which was a much earlier adaptation of Grand Hotel. This also starred his wife. His only other co-writing credit was the notorious flop Home Sweet Homer, a musical version of Odysseus. We would definitely cover this if there was a legitimate recording. All we could find available to purchase online was an audio recording of an out-of-town tryout. His biggest success was directing Man of La Mancha, which got him his only Tony Award win for Best Director. He actually directed Man of La Mancha on Broadway four times in 1965, 1972, 1977, and 1992. His wife, Joan Diener, originated the role of Eldonza and reprised her role in the 1972 run and was a replacement for the role in 1992 when she was 62. What happened in Holy... 1977? I, well, yeah. <laughs> did we mention that he was married to Joan Diener? I don't know. Did we? <laughs> they were married in 1956 and remained married until her death in 2006. She's also in this show, so we'll talk about her in just a second. After her death, Albert Marr remarried to actress Mimi Turk in 2009, and they remained married until his death three years later on September 4th, 2012. I just have to note that Mimi Turk was also in the original Broadway cast of Man of La Mancha as well as Antonia. The guy really uh, put together a cast of bombshells <laughs> in his mind, I guess. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. just cast everyone who was his type. <laughs> so, as promised, Joan Diener played the amazing Kathleen. So good. So good. She was born in Columbus, Ohio on February 24th, 1930. She went to Sarah Lawrence and majored in psychology, but acted outside of school. She made her Broadway debut in the 1948 review Small Wonder. Joan met Albert Marr when she was cast in Kismet and eventually went on to play the same role in The West End. From there, her life is understandably intertwined with Albert Marr, and the rest of her credits are shows that he directed, all of which we mentioned earlier. Unfortunately, she died on May 13th, 2006. So this next name might sound familiar to you. Robert Weedy, ring a bell anyone? We covered him a little bit in episode two, where he played Phil in Milk and Honey, but we wanted to dig a little deeper on him. He played Mayor Quinn. He was born on February 22nd, 1903, as Robert Wiedefeld in Baltimore, Maryland, to a German father and Irish mother. He once said that he developed his strong lungs by lugging around potatoes. How German <laughs> and Irish, actually. Oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> He started singing as a child in choirs at church before studying voice in college at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester and after graduation in Milan. 
He actually has more of a robust opera career than musical theater career, starring in principal roles in multiple productions at the Metropolitan Opera, where he was a company member from 1937 to 1942, as well as other opera houses around the United States and Europe. It is said that he got his stage name when his real name, Wiedefeld, was mispronounced on a radio program as Weedy. It's not even remotely close. I, maybe there was like a, a whiteout on the last part of his name. <laughs> Someone had their finger over it. And they were just like, we did whatever. We. In 1956, he broke onto the Broadway stage with the hit and one of Mikey's favorites, The Most Happy Fella. I love The Most Happy Fella. As Tony. And we still cannot figure out if it is actually obscure enough for us to... <laughs> covered on this show so we might have to do a poll or something because it has had three revivals so it can't be that obscure but at the same time it could be obscure to some people maybe they don't know the plot of it i don't know so let us know if you want us to cover the most happy fella because it would make mikey the most happy fella He took a break from performing after Milk and Honey and moved to San Francisco, where he became a vocal consultant for the American Conservatory Theater. But he came back to Broadway for his final show, this one, Cry For Us All. He never won any Tony Awards. I don't understand why. But he was nominated for Most Happy Fella and Cry For Us All. Also, I'm sorry, how was uh, Kathleen... Joan Diener not nominated I for a Tony no for this. Idea. That is actually repulsive. Freaking nuts. I'm going to have to look at the records again because that's gross. I wonder who she lost to. I'm going to have to find out. Ask and you shall receive. Yay. So in 1970, best performance of a leading actress in a musical went to... Uh-huh. Lauren Bacall for applause. Oh, okay. So we're going to get to that show at a later time. Mm -hmm. So we will see if we think Lauren Bacall did truly a better job than Miss Joan Diener. Because I really don't understand how she could not win. But also, she wasn't nominated. So who was nominated? So also nominated was Katherine Hepburn in Coco. She really didn't have a chance, did she? And also Dillis Watling. Oh, wait, who's that? No idea. In Georgie. It looks like she's an English actress. Okay, we're going to have to cover that show later too, because how can all these people be better than Joan Diener? I don't understand. She's so good. The world wasn't ready. This world was not ready. Mm-mm. For this musical. I feel like I'm going to talk about that later. I'm mad for her. <laughs> After Cry For Us All ended in 1970, Robert Weedy was slated to return to the opera stage in a production of Tosca in Hawaii, but he fell ill and had to cancel, eventually dying on July 9th, 1972, of an undiagnosed illness. So I also want to mention briefly that singer-dancer Tommy Rawl is in this show as... P.D. Boyle, the one who's trying to give women (laughs) duck legs. (laughs) Uh, You may have recognized his voice because it is also in Milk and Honey, where he played the role of David. And I have a feeling we're going to be covering him later. Mm -hmm. 
So we've learned about all of those involved, so let's see now the process it took to get on Broadway. After Mitch Lee's show Chu Chem failed to make it to Broadway, he was determined to find a good source material that would make another hit like Man of La Mancha. Hogan's Goat had opened five years prior off-Broadway and was very popular. He thought this would be great as a musical, so he decided to become its executive producer and assembled a team to make his vision a reality. Initially, opera singer John Reardon was cast as Matt Stanton. He broke a contract with the Lincoln Center to do this show, but eventually he left the project. We couldn't find any specific reason why, but it is speculated that he left because director Albert Marr wanted his wife, Joan Diener, to play opposite him, and he felt as though she was not the right fit, either vocally or type-wise. I'm rolling my eyes, <laughs> and I am grumbly. Anyway, he was replaced by unknown Welsh actor Steve Arlen, who we could not find any information about, hence why we did not talk about him, mm -mm. even though he did a fabulous job. He did great. The show underwent major rewrites, both in its one-week run in New Haven and its one-month run in Boston. A major character was taken out of the show to streamline the action, and other character parts were diminished. Joan like Bessie. Just kidding. Yeah. I don't know. Now I want to read the play. I yeah. want to know what they changed. Joan Diener's part, on the other hand, got larger and larger, which did not make the other cast members very happy. I do have to say, she has a lot of songs. She has like four or five songs, and the most anyone else has is two. Right. So I can understand their frustration, especially when, hello... She's canoodling with the director. <laughs> <laughs> there were other problems with the out-of-town run. The set consisted of a three-story house mounted on a turntable, which put so much strain on the motor that it hummed loudly when it was in action. At one point, a two-ton tree rotating on the turntable came loose and fell into the wings. Miraculously, it didn't hurt anybody. In the middle of the Boston run, they briefly retitled the show Who to Love before reverting back. So despite all of this, out-of-town audiences liked the show and it went on to its Broadway run. As you may have gathered from its short run, it didn't do so well there. The biggest criticism we see of this show seems to be that the show is too much of a drama to be a musical, which, in my opinion, makes actually zero <laughs> sense. There are plenty of musical dramas that work very well, even before the 70s. So everyone who wrote about that, um, I just think they are dumb. All right. So then you think that this New York Times reviewer is dumb. They said, quote, it is for a good reason that musicals are often called musical comedies. No one has ever heard of a musical tragedy. Mm -mm. Opera, yes, of course. Hardly anyone seems to be writing them nowadays, but the form is there, ready and waiting for success. But a musical comedy can only take so much drama before it fades into a kind of dreary pretentiousness that is not quite light opera, but hopes. The shade. The, <laughs> the mere gall. The, the, my eye rolled out of my head and <laughs> flew into the depths of hell or something. I don't even know. I mean, to be fair, things like Phantom, things like Les Mis, things like these epic dramas mm -hmm. that we've seen 
now have not occurred yet. Yes, but he did go on to say that West Side Story might be the only exception. But like, really, there's there's dozens more. I'm not going to bore by naming them all. But even if you just look at Rodgers and Hammerstein's catalog itself, which was mostly before this year, there's plenty of dramas. This reviewer is just full of sass. He also <laughs> said, quote, I only found myself crying for Mr. Alfred. As in, they butchered your play. <laughs> I think that is so rude. Very. And I don't think they butchered the play. Mm-mm. I mean, I want to read the play now, and I'm sure it's great. But I think they got the essence of it. I think maybe this reviewer was confused as we were by these jaunty little happy numbers that were in between the sad songs. Mm -hmm. Maybe it made him believe in his heart of hearts that the show was happier than it was. But the show is called Cry For Us All, not called like giggle with us now you go in knowing what you're going to get i don't understand and especially if it was a popular play and i'm sure under the marquean things it said cry for us all like the new musical based on the play hogan's go they want everyone to know that it's associated right because it was a successful play that everyone knows the plot of oh but that does make it kind of a bummer if you already know how it's going to end oh oh i wonder if that would make it feel different i mean no, because I go into Les Mis knowing everybody's going to die. And I still like it. This reviewer did like a few things. Okay. The Dangerous set was praised. Idiot. Some songs were said to be potential radio hits. Also complete idiot. <laughs> Where is that? I don't know. Well, he praised the performances of Joan Diener, Steve Arlen, Robert Weedy, Tommy Rawl, Helen Gallagher, and the three urchin children. Closing his review with, quote, less ambitious musicals have proved far more successful in the deployment of far less talent. So I guess that's nice, but he spent the whole time dragging the show Mm -hmm. and then was like, they're good people in it, so don't blame them. Which this and other reviews is why the show closed only after nine performances. When you get reviews like this that basically tell you, don't go see this show. It's a pile of garbage. That's what happens. New York Times reviewers have so much power. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know it. I think they do. I think some of them enjoy saying this is horrible and closing a show. I guess. Who knows? Those people need to retire and get a hobby. <laughs> Seriously. That's really annoying. Mm-hmm. For the first time in a while, I'm excited <laughs> by this segment. What? <laughs> I'm excited to do audition cuts. I am too. I don't feel like the past couple of shows, I've really been truly excited. So I picked Swing Your Bag. Are we surprised? Probably not. (laughs) I think it's great. Here we go. When he proves men all are lice, not only some. Brooklyn Bridge looks awful nice. For jumping from Don't you let your bottom drag Hoist yourself up like a flag And swing your back Swing your back Swing your back So what do you think? I love it. It's so different than everything else in the show. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like when you slate it and you say, 
I'm going to be singing Swing Your Bag from Cry For Us All. They are not going to think that you're going to do this. <laughs> you picked one of the few happy numbers. <laughs> that's true. Well, no, they're kind of every other. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You could use this for so many things. Like Reno Sweeney and Anything Goes, mm -hmm. Velma in Chicago, Charity in Sweet Charity, even like Sally Bowles you could use it for. Yeah. All of these women. So I am going to put it in my book. But as long as you're not auditioning for the same show I am, go ahead and put it in your <laughs> book too. Just kidding. <laughs> so what did you pick? Well, it was actually very hard for me because I guess you could see by listening to this episode that I liked a lot of songs. Yeah, and you love the Baritone Men. Mm -hmm. and and all, <laughs> I do. I do love plenty. the Baritone Men. <laughs> all these songs fit in my voice. Every single male song fits in my voice, so I guess I gravitated towards them. I could imagine myself singing them, but I had to choose one. So I went with my gut and went with the first one that I really, really gravitated towards, which was The Mayor's Chair. The Mercher. The Mercher. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say I'm going to sing The Mercher. <laughs> uh, excuse me, can you say that again? Um, the mer Mercher. Wait, what did he say? Did you hear what he said? Oh, I have no idea. Just let him go. Okay. Uh, okay, just go ahead. All right, thank you. All you who double cross me, hear this and hear it well. Before I let you boss me, I see a frying hell. Shanks of plaster, come fight me if you dare. I'll show you who is master, and in the mayor's chair. Ah, it's so good. I, <laughs> it is really good. I think I might fall into that trap, though, of being so obsessed with the song itself that I might act horribly. Why? I don't know. I don't think you can act this song horribly. It's pretty transparent. There's no levels True. in it, emotionally at least. It's all out there on the table. So as long as you play those genuinely, I think you're fine. And I think I would have no problem doing that. So for the type of shows that this is good for, it's actually all the type of shows I like. So... <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, the limb is, guys, all of their musicals kind of sound like this. They wrote The Pirate Queen and Martin Guerre and Miss Saigon. So all of their musicals, also Frank Wildhorn musicals, another favorite of mine. So good. Jekyll and Hyde, Scarlet Pimpernel, that kind of stuff. Oh, this is definitely for Scarlet Pimpernel. For sure. I mean, it sounds even a little bit in the anger and ruffian voice type mm -hmm. of into the fire it's very a rally rara song oh yes and of course if you want to audition for mitch lee's other big show man of la mancha oh yeah well you, i told you you should pick that other song yes you, you should probably that. pick the other song instead <laughs> <laughs> so that is my audition cut that i'm actually going to put in my audition book boop 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 so now we have gotten to the point where we ask the age-old question should this musical still be produced? Oost, oost. One, two, three. 
Obviously. I don't understand why it has not. (laughs) I I am very upset that I have not seen this show yet. Honestly, me too. And I'm also upset that it actually only exists in vinyl form. It's not on any streaming service anywhere that I could find. Yeah. And I did a search online and it has truly never been produced. It's boggling to me. (laughs) Your voice got so high. You're so angry. (laughs) Because I love this show. I love shows like this. Maybe it wasn't right for the time because there were no musical tragedies, but there were. Yeah, I just don't understand why this isn't done with all those Irish repertory theaters. They are around. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why when they do musicals, they don't do this. It must be done. It must. It really should. I'm trying to will it into existence. Please do the show. It's so good. I just want to see it. I want to see it. I want to be in it and see it. I mean, I want to be in it too, but I will settle for just sitting in the audience. For sure. I mean, I will gladly just cry for, well, actually, it's not even that long. It's a one-act musical, you guys. Uh, Yes. I mean, if you want to sell concessions, I know exactly where you should put in (laughs) an intermission. But Mikey, where can they get the rights to it? No idea. No one has produced this musical since its Broadway run. The rights are not available on Concord or any of the other places that we've looked. But that doesn't mean it's impossible to produce. People do produce musicals all the time that have not had a run in a long time. It does make it harder to do this show since all the writers are dead. But if you can get into contact with most likely Mitch Lee's estate and present a good case, I'm sure they'd let you do it. Yeah, and you should try. Someone, please try. I'm going to be thinking about this musical for a long time mm-hmm. and why I haven't seen it. I'm also going to go buy the play and read it because plays are good too. I bet the play has been produced. I wonder if it has. I think it has. It, I'm sure it has. And maybe there's a good Irish monologue in there for you. Oh, geez. Toy to toy. I won't do that. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we have to go. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you are the first to get our new episodes. And if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening right now. But only if it's nice. If you want to email us any suggestions, you can do that at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Buried Broadway. If you want to support the podcast and get some bonus content, become a patron for as low as $1 a month at patreon.com slash buriedbroadway. We really appreciate all your support and your interactions and everything not just from our patrons but from everyone who follows us on social media the messages you send are awesome we love chatting with you so please help spread the word and tell your friends what What will will we dig dig up next next? bye toodles i know we just played you some songs from the show but that doesn't mean we have the rights you know we're educating you and ourselves you see with musicals lost in history so please don't call your lawyers that would kill the vibe we just want to make podcasts and keep buried broadway alive